to uh, Ephesians chapter 4. We'll be looking at mainly the first uh, half of the chapter or so this morning. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you and praise you for your goodness to us. We thank you for a passage like this that reminds us of uh, how gracious you are and how loving you are and how all-encompassing um, being Christians are in terms of knowing Christ and uh, living in a way that is pleasing to him. Father, we ask that you will open up our hearts and minds at this time and help us to understand uh, some of these verses and how they, how they work themselves out or how we are to work them out in our own lives and, and in our lives as a particular church. Uh, we ask that you will be with us, help us. We need your spirit to uh, open up the eyes of our understanding that we might behold what you have in the scriptures, which you have breathed out. Uh, on, your, uh, on your people to, uh, particularly I think of those whom you have breathed out um, your written and scripturated will for us to know, for us to learn, for us to find certainty in, because you have spoken. And we ask that you will uh, help us to give the proper gravity and seriousness to the word of God in its fullness to the whole counsel of God which you have given to us. Father, we pray that this particular passage this morning that we will benefit as we look, as we listen, and as we try to live as well. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So Ephesians uh, chapter 4. My plan over the next couple of weeks was to, to finish Ephesians and just do one sermon out of each um, chapter, but I'm not sure that's going to happen. Um, we'll just see. Um, this morning I want to concentrate a little bit on, on church growth. If you, if you look at this chapter, chapter 4, it is about church growth. It's, a lot about, it's about other things as well, but it is about church growth. And I want to make some comments about that because we have different ways of, uh, of approaching church growth or the growth of the church in our current um, uh, culture. And I just want you to think for a moment in your head. I'm not going to ask you this, but I'm just going to ask you to think for a moment. What are some, some necessary characteristics that are needed for church growth? Just what would you think? I mean, you don't have to shout them out. I just want you to... Think about that. Probably a wide variety of them. <clears throat> How about um, good contemporary music that's balanced with a nice mixture of traditional music? That's what we try to do, isn't it, these days? We try to balance the music. And we kind of need that if we want people to come to the church. We kind of need that for church growth. Uh, how about comfortable and well-spaced seating, particularly now, um, so that everybody can feel like they're, you know, they're, uh, uh, you know, they're hygienically uh, safe. But even if that weren't the case, we would want comfortable, well-spaced seating. How about a passionate preacher 
someone that you can bring, someone who, you know, when you bring a, a friend or a guest to church, the preacher's going to really give it, and uh, he won't embarrass you, etc., etc. So it's got to be passionate, it's got to be very particular that it applies to you, but also covers everything. So I'm just being a little tongue-in-cheek there. Um, but that would be nice, and it would be good for church growth. How about a state-of-the-art website and media and sound system and plenty of parking and, which we can't have right now, but we still seem to be doing okay, good coffee. Good coffee, good tea afterwards, which we haven't had for, for months here, and one day hopefully it will be back. And you might be able to think of a few other things that, um, that would be good for the growth of the church. And, um, of course, none of these things are, are wrong. None of these things are wrong. None of them are to be despised. And these things that I've just mentioned, they should be uh, accepted with thanksgiving. But the, the things that I mentioned are more the result of church growth than the kind of the guarantee of church growth. Um, they're more the result of a, of a church that has grown, and then these are the, uh, the, uh, the things that... Uh, grow up uh, the appendages in a sense, the, the, the creature comforts and things that we have as a church grows. Uh, but even these are not the most important results of church growth. So Ephesians 4 is going to uh, open up a little bit of a, of a window to help us to see uh, some of the things that are important for church growth. And um, I'll just begin by reading a couple, other, a couple more verses in chapter 4, the first few verses. Paul is a prisoner, and he urges the Ephesians to live a life worthy of the calling that they have received. And at that point, he doesn't, he's not explicitly saying, and the calling that you have received is such and such. But he, gets, he unpacks it a little bit. He says in, in verse 2, be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. He's reminding the Ephesians when, the, when they were called by God through the preaching of the gospel, and then they believed they were called to a unity that was to be demonstrated amongst them. That, that unity was in Christ. And we'll get down to that in, in a couple of minutes. But remember, I want you to just think of this passage as a passage that ends up talking about the growth of the church. And it begins with this, uh, these couple of verses on living a life worthy of the calling that you have received. Each of you has, have received, those of you who are Christians who trust in Christ, you have received a calling from God. And that calling includes the fact that all of you who have believed, all of us have believed, we are called to one hope. And there's some other things there as well. And this all, as I said, this all begins to uh, uh, become cumulative in terms of the church, the growth of the church. It seems, it's a little bit of speculation, but as you do Bible study, one of the things that you try to figure out is 
what the, what the uh, people, that the, the letter or the book it was addressed to, what are some of the th things that they struggled with. And it seems that there could have been at least the hint of a lapse of keeping the unity in the church that was needed, a lapse of keeping unity, because Paul really focuses on this. Um, he really focuses on how important uh, the unity that we, that we already have. If you're a Christian, you are brought into the body of Christ and you have a unity with other Christians that, that you can't, well, you, you, in practice you can deny it. But it's there. It's just part of what it means to be a Christian. And it's possible that there was uh, maybe not so, so, uh, so much of an eagerness to establish and live out this unity. And when you remember that this, these congreg this congregation was made up of Jews and Gentiles and all the differences and all the struggles that they had, it's not unrealistic to realize that they would have had to struggle uh, to keep the unity in the church. Um, it's, it's kind of a lapse of, of, of dynamic Christian living. And I just want to make a couple of comments there. I was talking with an elderly Christian minister who was talking to me about how, you know, they, rem they remembered their past. I don't know if you remember your past as a young Christian. And they were just saying, it seemed so much easier to be a Christian back when they were younger, back when they had more, you know, umph. They had more vitality, just even biological vitality. And, and, they, and it was, they hadn't seen so many things in life. And it was, it was almost like it was just more of an effort, harder to keep that dynamic Christian living going. Then that reminded me of a younger couple I remember talking to a number of years back who were very... Uh, uh, who were very... Uh, concerned that the church was not providing for them um, the, uh, the same kind of passionate ministry that they had in their youth. In other words, they went to a church in their youth as young people, and they would have had a young person's uh, um, ministry going, and it would have been really vital and dynamic and all kinds of neat things happening. But they were disappointed with the church as they got older because it wasn't the same. It wasn't the same. It wasn't providing the same thing for them. As adults, they were, they were wanting to reproduce that same uh, feeling of, of excitement and enthusiasm that they had when they were teenagers. I don't know exactly what the issues were in Ephesus uh, there is a little bit of a hint, but we can't, we can't speculate too much um, about them. But um, it, it's not, what I'm saying is it's not uh, unreasonable in a sense uh, that, that Christians are challenged with staying uh, active for the long haul. As Christians, if you're a Christian, it's not just for a year. It's not just for two years. It's not just for five years. It's not just for 10 years. It's not just for 20 or 30 or 40. It's from the time that you become a Christian until God takes you home. It's the whole thing. And at different parts of your life, you will be full on. You're doing this and doing that. And it's fantastic. Other times, it's going to be more of a perseverance, putting one foot 
in front of the other. Now, what I want to concentrate on here, the next is just verse 2. Verse 2, for me, as I read this uh, chapter, and what I will say is characterized by the growth of the church, verse 2, to me, explains what is much more important for the growth of the church than all of the things that I mentioned earlier. A nice building, nice location, plenty of places to park your cars, the music, etc., etc., etc. I'm not picking on the music. Uh, the sermon, I can pick on myself. Um, these characteristics are much more critical for the growth of the church than all of the accoutrements that we can add to the life of a church. In verse 2, Paul says, Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. So let's just look at that verse 2 for a, for a moment. These are critical. Humility is critical, and it's humility in all areas of life. It's not just humility when you show up here on Sunday morning and you're humble because you're associating with other Christians, and then you go home and you're not so humble with your wife or your husband or your kids at home. No, it's real, true humility in your life. Gentleness. Being gentle with other people instead of being on edge all the time and having to go at them if you think they've had a go at you or having a go at them uh, even if they haven't had a go at you. But you just got to, you know, you're not very happy this morning or you're a little bit angry, so you're going to let somebody have it. I think I kind of did that this morning, actually. Um, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient. Patient with other people. Patient with people who are not getting from here to here in the amount of time that you've given them to get from there to there. And you think it's not working. They're, they're, not, they're not progressing in their Christian life. They're not showing themselves to me to be the way I think they should be. We need to be patient. Patient with each other. As he says, bearing with one another in love. When you bear with one another, you bear because there's something that's not right. There's something that seems odd. There's something that seems out of place. There's something that seems that maybe they have wronged you, or at least you've taken that way. So you have, you, you need, we need to bear one another with one another in love. And so even when, when you are bearing with other people, it's got to be done in love. Love needs to come in and shape the whole relationship as you as you um, uh, have that relationship with other people that may not be, you know, just the way that you want it to be. It may be going through stress or strains or difficulties, and we need to bear with one another in love. <clears throat> now, why are these important? Why are these four characteristics so important for the growth of the church? Well, he goes on, verse 3. After he says, this is how you should... These are the attitudes that you should have, the characteristics that you should have. He then goes on in verse 3 and says, Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. If you don't have things like humility and gentleness and patience and bearing with one another, you will not keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And these also are part of what you have 
to have to have to be able to make every effort, to be eager to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. That's, that's your responsibility as an individual Christian, that you develop these characteristics, that you practice these characteristics, and that, that uh, in terms of your life in the church, whether it's worshiping or whether it's fellowshipping with, God, with God's people in, in other places, in your homes, in the cafes or whatever, you are to be making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace because naturally we don't do that. Naturally, we develop all kinds of things that divide us from one another. From major things that we might deal with, like uh, racism, to minor things like, oh, they just, uh, they just don't think the way I think. They're just a little different from me. I'm not sure that I get along with them. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. This has to do, remember what I said, with church growth. If we can't do these basic things, don't expect the church to grow. Even if you've got all the other things that we talked about, that I've mentioned already, and other things that you might think are, we need this. If we had this, our church would grow. Not if these things are lacking. Not if, not if people will come and try to somehow come into the life of this particular church and find out that there is very little humility, very little gentleness, uh, very little bearing with one another, and very little unity of the Spirit. So it becomes incumbent on you as an individual to prioritize this as a Christian, to put this up there, to pray for yourself, to pray for one another, that these things will become uh, paramount in your Christian life. That's if you want the church to grow. Some people don't want the church to grow. Some people want it just the way it is. It's all good right now. I'm happy. I fit here. This is how I fit. And when so-and-so comes, or some people I don't know, it changes. The church changes. I remember a church that we were in when we were in school. Uh, we were going to school, and it was a small church. It was a starting church. There would have been about 60 people in the church, probably. And one Sunday morning, over 20 people showed up. These 20 people had been excommunicated from their church all at once. Just bam. Over 20 people excommunicated. They show up in our church. The church they were excommunicated from became a cult. It was a cult. And um, so uh, the leadership in the church said, okay, we will embrace these people and try to work with them and help them because they're, they're all hurting really bad. These were normal Christians. These were, these were not people who should have been excommunicated out of the church. But they didn't fit. They may have spoken against the minister or something like that. I can't remember. But the, the axe came down on them. So they come in, and we're, we're a church of 60, and all of a sudden we're a third bigger. Well, everything changed in that church. And there were people who would not have liked it. And they worked, we worked with those people for a year, and after a year, there wasn't one of them left in that church. We, we had a time with them, a time to, to, uh, to love them and, and, and try to help them 
to recover from the trauma of what had happened. And they had ended up in mainly other churches because they had come quite a distance to, to go to this church. But there are times when that's going to happen. There will be people who, come, who are coming into a, uh, a church and they ought not to be despised. They ought not to be set aside or marginalized. Uh, church, if you're looking at church growth, that's one of the things that happens. So as I said, it's important for us to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Now here's the unity, the next section. Here's our unity defined. There's one body. That's the body of Christ. One Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit. One hope to which... uh, Uh, You were called to one hope when you were called. What is that hope? It's the hope of eternal life. It's the hope that that we have from the resurrection of Christ and our resurrection and the fact that death does not defeat us. It's not the final word. We We have this underlying hope that drives us as Christians and we were called to that one hope. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. I couldn't help but thinking, and I'm not picking on anybody or anything here. I just couldn't help but thinking. I was just looking through some pictures of Fire on the Mountain recently. And we used to hold Fire on the Mountain out at the convention center, which is a huge sign that says, all one in Christ. Or it could say, all one in Christ Jesus. But, you know, there's more to it than just that. This is what we have in common. We have in common... One body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. That's what unites us as Christians. That's what you have in common with another person sitting in this church or in another church who professes faith in Jesus Christ. And that in itself is a motivation and should be a motivation for us to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace, even with Christians that you disagree with. We are called to unity. That's what these passages talk about. Unity is the, the, the foundation, excuse me, it's the, it, it, is, it is the foundation that we uh, all sit on when we become Christians, and we are to strive to keep that unity And if we don't, the church can't really be said to be growing. Not in the way the Bible defines growth. And the Bible will not necessarily define church growth the same way that we might. That unity is also the foundation for the next section. Uh, Paul recognizes the unity that we have. He recognizes the unity between the Jew and the Gentile. Back there, that was the big division. But he also recognizes that not everybody is the same. We don't ask those people. We ask people when they join this church. You heard the questions this morning. Very basic Christian confession questions. But we don't ask Joshua to wear a coat to church next Sunday or a tie or that we all look exactly alike? Uh, Should I ask that, Josh? Wouldn't work, would it? No, (laughs) he's shaking his head. 
because there's this incredible diversity in the church. Look at verse 7. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. And it goes into this uh, wonderful section that I'm not going to deal with this morning. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also came here first? He came here first and then he went there and he went there victoriously and, <clears throat> and uh, gave gifts to um, the church. <clears throat> uh, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. I'm not sure exactly, I guess I'll put it this way. Here in this passage, Paul, first of all, drives the Ephesians towards unity. He's pushing them towards unity. He's encouraging them towards unity. So it could be that they were slacking off in that a little bit. But that's his emphasis. And then, after he establishes that unity, he then talks about the diversity that there is amongst them. They're not all the same. They're from extremely different cultural backgrounds, these Jews and Gentiles there in Ephesus. But Paul talks about the gifts of grace that have come on the church, that Jesus has given to the church, and he lists these offices. And then the one that I really want to focus on is, is simply... Um, that these different offices, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, are given to the church to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. This is church growth. So that the body of Christ may be built up. This is practical grace, if you want to th think of it that way. It is practicing grace. It is th the fact that you have received the grace of God in Christ how is that going to work itself out in your life? Grace is not something static that we get from God and then we, um, you know, we, have, we put it in a little box and we close that box and put a little lock on it, make sure it doesn't get out, and then we carry it around with us everywhere. No. Grace is something that God pours out in your life in Christ and it is to be used. That's kind of a crass way to put it. It is to be divvied out to, to people, to the church. The grace of God in your life is to work itself out for the good of the church, to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. God gives us grace. That grace manifests itself in different gifts. Those gifts are used for the better of the church, and each one of you has a responsibility to do that to find the gifts that God has given you and to manifest the grace of God, the grace of Christ in the life of the church. And that covers a whole... We're, we're, not, we're never given anywhere in Scripture an exhaustive list of what those are. It, it just can't be done because the church changes with culture. It changes with language. It changes with whatever part of history the church is in. But the gifts that were given, you can just go back and look at the diversity of gifts in the New Testament. They would cover everything, uh, and this is just two examples here, from someone who understood that the widows in the early church, were, some of the widows were being overlooked in the distribution of food. 
And someone said, that's not right. And someone said, we got to do something about that. That's the grace of God working in their lives and working itself out in the life of the church. And then you had someone who had the grace of God uh, and it was strong enough or powerful enough or whatever so that they could stand before kings and, and confess the gospel and bear witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ in the courts of kings who were trying to try them and send them to death. What a wide variety and everything in between and how that changes with the way culture changes. It can have, it can, you know, in, in a culture like ours, it can be everything from simply saying, <clears throat> I want to volunteer here and I want to put some of my time into whatever it is, the bargain center, and, and I want to rub shoulders with people and I want to I do something that I know contributes to the life of the church. It could be singing, it could be speaking, it could be any number of things. The point is, is that... Um, the gifts have been given to the church, and so as it comes down to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. What part are you playing? What part do you have? If you think that it is only left up to the clergy or the professionals to grow the church, no, not at all. It is all of our involvement, and the church will grow. The next verse, it talks about that. Um, well, I better read verse 12 again. To equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until, verse 13, we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. See what the purpose is? Incredible purpose. Incredible reason, incredible end, incredible thing to look forward to in terms of the life of the church. That as we're doing those things, the church becomes mature and attains to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And that's what we can start talking about, a mature church. It's not a mature church just because everybody's over 60 or whatever. It's mature because of these things taking place in the life of the church. Unity and knowledge. Uh, unity of the faith, that's what we're moving towards. We're moving towards unity of the faith and we're helping each other do that. And we're moving towards the knowledge of the Son of God and we're supposed to be helping each other do that in our various ways. And then as a result of that, uh, I just want to comment here. When it talks about um, knowledge, the knowledge of the Son of God, it's, it's using that, it's almost a shorthand for uh, in the Son, you find everything for your redemption, past, present, and future. And we're, we're growing in our knowledge of the Son of God. That's not just that I've, I've just ticked off that I, I just realized that he was born in 30 AD or whatever, 1 AD, excuse me, 1 AD, died in 30 or 33. I don't mean that. That could be part of it. But you are understanding, you're growing in, in your understanding of what Christ has done for you. He has, he has functioned as our prophet, our priest, and our king. And all of those have ramifications for our daily living as Christians. Are you growing 
in your knowledge of Jesus Christ? Are you participating in this church in a way that you are pursuing the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace that offers then an environment and a place in the body of Christ where other people are able to grow in their understanding of the Son of God? That is, that is what we are supposed to be doing. And as a result of that, as a result of that growth, it says then we will no longer be infants. We won't be babies anymore. Tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. In my time here in this church, I know that we have addressed marginally at least three or four different kinds of false teachings that come into the church. And we've been able to make sure they didn't come into the church. But they were marginally there. There were people in the church who were entertaining these ideas, but we kept them at bay. And that's part of the life of a healthy church, is to be able to do that. In fact, this is a little bit of a sideboard here. It looks like if if you go up and you read... Um, Ephesians in uh, Revelation chapter 2. It seems like they did a very good job at calling out the false apostles. That's one of the things they did. And, um, and kind of sticking it to some, some false teachers, you know, calling them out, saying, hey, you, you shouldn't be doing this kind of thing. We're not going we're gonna, to gonna let that happen. But the, the thing they struggled with, it looks like uh, they lost their first love. So they did all this, but they did it in such a way that something was still missing. They're commended for what they did. Jesus commends them for sticking to the gospel, but somehow in the whole process, they lost their first love. And I I think of that as, as just the, again, you go back and you think of, you know, when you were a brand new Christian, uh, some of you may have be, become Christian after you were matured. You know, you were out witnessing, you were on beach missions, you were doing this, that, and the other thing. And, uh, and Jesus tells him in a, in a revelation to repent and do the things they did at first when they loved Christ, when they, when they had this driving motivation of love. Um, and so we can't forget that. We can't, you know, that's... The, and if you go back and you read Ephesians... With the idea of love in mind, you'll find out how much it's talked about. As he's writing to the Ephesians, love is so important. There's that whole wonderful section at the end of chapter 3 on the love of Christ. So in conclusion, I just want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to be part of this, part of this growth of the church, the growth of the body of Christ. And whatever kinds of ideas you have about church growth and how we get it done and what program we might have, da-da-da-da-da-da. That's fine, but don't forget this. Don't forget, forget that the Scripture actually talks about the growth of the church, but in often very different terms than we might talk about it. I just want to encourage you that, that the, you be, uh, as a member of the body of Christ, that you are confessing Christ together, that you are worshiping, we are worshiping together, we are witnessing together, 
we are working together so that the church is built up in love. And that, that's what he talks about further on. He talks about how the church uh, builds itself up in love. Love is so critical if we're going to do that. And that puts us all the way back to where we started. Humility, gentleness, patience, forbearance. Practice those things. Get those things in your heart, in your mind, in your life. And the church will grow. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and praise you for your goodness to us. We thank you for the way that we see in Ephesians chapter 4 how uh, you went victoriously into heaven and you were given gifts and you poured these gifts out on your church. And we are the recipients of those gifts. And those gifts are for the building up of the body of Christ. And we ask that you'll help each of us to pray about and make sure that we are sensitive to the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ working in our lives and working itself out from our lives into the lives of others. We ask that you will continue to build this church here, your church, and we ask these things in Jesus' name and for his honor and glory. Amen.